First Timothy chapter three. First Timothy chapter three is where we'll be at. First Timothy chapter three. I'll flip it back on now. I think we look like we're good back there. One of these days, God willing, we'll have a permanent building, and we won't have to set up sound every single morning. <laughs> so it always makes it kind of unique. If you can tell, I am fighting a voice issue this morning, um, which. If you're a close friend of mine, that probably thrills your soul, uh, but it makes it more difficult to preach. Um, but nevertheless, I'm excited to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's good to be back after being off last week. I enjoy being in the church, enjoy preaching, and so we'll be picking up our study of uh, Timothy, and we're going to read verses 8 through 15. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 8 through 15. This is the holy inspired word of God. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons they prove themselves blameless. blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay... You may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. We have spent several weeks in what we said would be a foundational set of sermons for our church in teaching over elders. And um, if I could sum that up, uh, elders is plural, and that is we believe in this church and we believe it is right from the scriptures that every church should have a plurality of elders. That is not a plurality of yes men, but a plurality of pastors, with each pastor having oversight of the church. And now we come to deacons, and we spent five weeks on elders. We're only going to spend one week on the deacons, and that is not because the office is not important, but because many of the qualifications that we speak to we have discussed in elders, and so we don't have to spend as much time on it. I have been in the ministry since I was 19 in some capacity, either full-time or bivocationally, and I will lay all my cards on the table and tell you that my experiences with deacons has been less than stellar. Let's have a lot of deacons in here today. Um... I remember my first uh, full-time position uh, did not go well with deacons, and my second full-time position did not go well with deacons in that particular church. Um, they were uh, irritated that we had people of a different color coming to our youth ministry, and so they held a deacons meeting, uh, requested the youth minister arrive, and I did. Uh, and at that meeting, they uh, let me know that uh, I needed to send the uh, black students uh, to a black church because they weren't going to attend our church. I was 21. 
I told the deacon body in that meeting they were all going to hell. Um, that didn't work out real well. <laughs> they told me they would bring this to a vote to the church about whether or not I would stay in my position. I did a dirty Harry, and I said, well, make my day. And they did. <laughs> and they won. <laughs> so as I look back upon that, uh, the deacons were clearly wrong and sinful and evil, but yet I probably could have handled myself a little bit better than telling them they were all going to hell. So I will confess up front that my experience with deacons have not been always good. Having said that, I... Remember as a young man, my father being a deacon and being the, at one point a chairman of the deacons and, and uh, knowing that they were had meetings and those kind of things. And so I did have a respect for deacons, and yet my experience as a minister uh, was not that great. And generally speaking, and here is where I want to land most of this morning, is generally speaking, many of our experiences with deacons have been with deacon, deacons doing a role that the elders are supposed to be doing. And so therefore, much of what they attempted to do, whether they had a good heart or not, nevertheless, it was in contrary to what the scriptures teach. And that's our goal this morning, is what does the Bible teach about deacons? And so, what is a deacon? Well, the Greek word for deacon means servant, means one who serves. It does not mean the one who oversees. We have already spent several weeks on the overseers of the church, and that is the elders and or pastors or even bishops. Deacons serve the church. They serve the needs of the body. Now, this does not mean that elders should not be servants of the church. That would not be at all um, biblical. Elders clearly should serve the church. They should act as servants, but they do so um, as they oversee the affairs of the church. Deacons do not oversee the affairs of the church. Instead, they minister to the church as servants. If Acts 6 is what we think and what some uh, believe, although there's some debate, but not a lot of debate, but there is some uh, that this is the first example of deacons we see in the scripture, then the deacons that you heard Wayne read about free up the elders to preach and pray. Now, we recognize that in that Acts chapter 6 is the apostles, but if we see that as the first deacons, then it makes sense that the elders and the pastors, that their most important role as pastors is to preach the word of God to the believers. We see that in Paul's instructions to Timothy as well, to Preach the word. They should be praying for the flock. And in preaching and in praying, they protect the flock. And therefore, all of the other various needs of the congregation that might arise, the elders would put deacons in, in a role in which they could serve the church and meet those needs. It should also be noted that if you see in Acts 6, that the men selected in these roles are not casual Christians. They're not weak men, but instead we see that Stephen is one of these men. And Stephen is a powerful preacher and would go on to be martyred for his faith. And so we see that these men are godly men and strong men and powerful men for the gospel. And yet, it is not a qualification in the list that a deacon must be able to teach. 
but you could definitely be a deacon and teach, and you could clearly preach as well, and you can teach and preach and yet not desire to be an overseer. There's nothing wrong with being a godly man and being even a teacher and a preacher, but yet not desiring to be an elder in a church. But these deacons, nevertheless, do have some qualifications. And let's move through them quickly, and then we'll arrive at some of the more difficult parts of the passage that I spoke to a couple of weeks ago that our elders needed to meet on before we preached over deacons. That was a fun meeting, wasn't it? <laughs> Number one, they should be dignified, meaning they should be honorable and respectable, esteemed and worthy. They should not be double-tongued in their speech, meaning they should not be untrustworthy in what they say, saying one thing to this group of people and saying another thing to this group of people, otherwise known as politics. <laughs> they should not be addicted to much wine. We handle that in our elder teaching. Uh, this bothers Baptists. Because we prefer in the Baptist church that it says they should never touch wine. That's not what it says. It says instead they should not be addicted to much wine. And we've yet to really amen that in this church. <laughs> there should not be very many drinkers in here. But nevertheless, it says they should not be addicted to much wine. That's what the scripture says. It's not what the Baptist church says. It's what the Bible says. They should not be addicted to much wine. They should not be greedy for dishonest gain. And you might see in some churches, even in a church that is healthy, that the deacons might be in charge of some of the finances. They might be ones who take the offering. They might be ones who count the offering. And so clearly you would not want someone who is greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. In other words, they must hold to the gospel. They must believe the gospel. They must understand the gospel. And this idea of it being a mystery is common language that Paul speaks to when he describes the gospel. But they must, as deacons, believe it unwavering, and their lifestyle should be evidence of that belief in the gospel. And then they must be blameless after testing. Now we said in our elder when we taught over that, that Paul clearly does not have in mind when he says blameless somebody without sin. That's clearly not what he's discussing. But after testing these men, they must emerge as men whose pattern of life is godly. And so there's some churches, there might be a process by which to become a deacon. There might be a, a question and answer session before the church, as there was for me when I was ordained. Uh, there was a Q&A in front of the church, etc., and so clearly there may be some path like that, but I don't really think that's what it's speaking to here. I think instead it's speaking to look at these men, put them in roles, let them handle responsibilities of the church, and let's see how well they do that. We have another qualification that's similar to the elders, and it says husband of one wife. And we handled that uh, in an entire sermon, and I would encourage you to go back and hear that if you were not here for what we mean by the husband of both one wife. Once again, to, sum, to summarize that, we do not believe that that means you could never have been divorced. But we do believe that the character of a man matters strongly. And so it makes it more difficult to have been divorced and to have been a deacon 
but we do not hold to the idea that you could never, ever be one. But nevertheless, you should be the husband of one wife. You should be a man who is known for being a one-woman man. We do not want men as deacons who are known as flirts or who have a reputation for that among the community. And then they must manage their children and household well. We saw that in the elder description as well. They must not have an unruly family, a family that is uh, in disarray, a family that has a tremendous amount of drama. Uh, if a family has a tremendous amount of drama, uh, you probably do not want them in the role of an elder, and you do not want them in the role of deacon, because then drama seems to follow that. They must manage their children and their household well. Those seem to be simple as we covered many of those extensively in our elder teaching. But verse 11 draws us to consider a few more things. Look at verse 11. It says, their wives, likewise, must be dignified. This is where it gets a little bit controversial. And this is what the elders met on to discuss before we preach this. In the Greek, the word there is not in the original language. It was added to the text based on which way translators determine the translation of the word wives. So here's the controversy. The word translated wives can also be translated women. And so if you translate it women, it changes the view of the passage somewhat. Instead of it reading, their wives likewise, it would instead read women likewise. Which means the office of deacon could be an office that women can serve in. Now, remember we covered extensively why women cannot serve in the role of pastor elder. That is not a Baptist idea. That is not a Protestant idea. That is an idea that Paul speaks to that is grounded in creation. We see that. We spoke extensively over that as well. And as much as I might want to do that again today, I would encourage you once again to go to that sermon where we spoke upon that. But we did say that because they would hold authority over men, that they cannot hold that role. But we do not see that as a problem for deacons because deacons do not hold authority but yet are servants. Now we know this is not the only place that there seems to be a little bit of a translation issue. In Romans 16, 1 through 2, we see Paul say this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centuria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. The word translated servant here could also be translated as deacon, or since it's referencing Phoebe, could be translated as deaconess. Now, this Paul speaking in Romans 16 of Phoebe as a deaconess, as an official deacon role within the church, or is Paul simply saying that Phoebe has been a great servant of the church without reference to an official role? Now we know, as many commentators, I said we know, we would, 
We believe, as many commentators believe, that Phoebe may actually have carried the letter of Romans to the Romans church, and so that fits with a, with a pretty strong servant role uh, for Paul. Paul seems to reference that she has done this well for not only the church, but also for himself. But at the end of the day, regardless of who you may read, I will help you out. We don't really know which way to translate that word. It could go either way. So that brings us back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now the greatest argument against this idea of speaking to women being deacons is that it does address the fact that men who serve as deacons should also be the husband of but one wife. So this seems to preclude the idea of a woman being a deacon. And yet the idea in this time period of Paul placing much emphasis on the marital status of women would seem unlikely. Now the argument for women deacons or for women being deacons is that the word in verse 11 is translated as wives. Um, I'm sorry, the argument for women deacons is that if the word in verse 11 is translated as wives, then we have a very unusual problem Because why would Paul give a list of qualifications for the wives of deacons, but not give a list of qualifications for the wives of elders? It's interesting. If elders, as we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3, hold the more vital role of overseeing the affairs of the church, if elders, as we saw when we worked our way through elders, will actually stand before the Lord and give an account for every single soul in which they shepherd. If elders are the ones that you are told to submit to, then why would Paul not be inspired to write about the qualifications of their wives, but yet would be inspired to write about the qualifications of deacons' wives when deacons serve no authoritative role in the church. That seems unusual. Now others argue that if this passage for women is for women serving as deacons, and Paul has interrupted his flow of writing. Why would Paul interrupt his flow of writing to suddenly speak about women? Instead, he's staying on point. But I would argue, as others have argued, that either way he interrupts his flow of writing, either to argue that women could be deacons, or he suddenly shifts to a discussion of the qualifications of the wives of deacons. That doesn't seem to make sense to me at all. And so therefore, the fact that there is no list of qualifications for the wives of elders, this leads us, as an elder body at this church, after much discussion, to believe that it is possible for a woman to serve in the role as a deacon. Now remember, deacons, if they truly serve their own, their role the right way, they are not holding authority over men. They are not holding some kind of position in the church in which they lead the church. And so this is not a violation of 1 Timothy chapter 2, which is Paul discussing that women not hold authority positions. So, After much debate and discussion and reading of the scripture, we believe that our church should welcome this role in our church, not only for qualified men, but also for qualified women. Not a single amen from a woman. 
All right, you're out. It's only me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's over. You're out. We believe this is important in the church because we want to abide by the scripture, and we believe the scriptures teach that. That does not mean that women should not be qualified. Clearly, if Paul is speaking about women deacons, which I truly believe he is, then the qualifications are serious. And they would not be an exhaustive list of qualifications, just like it's not an exhaustive list of qualifications for the elders or an exhaustive list for the deacons. But it clearly says that women must be dignified, must be honorable. They must have a pattern of life that is dignified. They should not be slanderers. Some translations would say gossips. They should not be people who talk about other people. They must be sober-minded. They must have a clear mind. And they must be faithful in all things. So in the end, if we see this as we believe we do, that men and women can both serve as deacons, what do they actually do? What are the responsibilities of the deacons? Well, this is a little bit more vague in the scripture. We have a pretty clear view of what elders do. They are to oversee the church. They are to preach, and they are to teach, and they are to pray, and they are to protect the flock, and they are to watch for wolves. But deacons seems to be a bit more vague. So we would say, as your elder body, based on this passage and based on Acts 6 and based on what we can see, um, that the deacons help the pastors do their roles by helping serve the church's needs that would normally distract the elders from doing what they should be doing, which is praying and preaching the word of God. These needs are various and change depending on the congregation. And so the elders should be able to identify these needs and direct the deacons to serve and meet those needs. So we believe, as an elder team, we will identify the needs in our church. That may be with widows who may have a need. It could be with people who maybe shut-ins in our church. And we're going to, as we put together our deacon body, as we have told the church we are working on doing, uh, our pastors, elders, will help direct those deacons on how to meet the spiritual and physical needs of our people. Now, as we said, this can look different in various churches, and I would argue that it will look different in our church even 10 years from now. As the Lord continues to grow our church and as our elder team grows and as our deacon body grows, uh, it may change on how they perform their task, but they are clearly to serve the body. Whatever the case, deacons do not exist to fight against the elders. They are not there to oversee the elders, and they are not there to fire the elders. They are to serve the needs of the membership at the guidance of the elders. And this may be a huge shift for many of you who grew up in a deacon-ruled church. But it is clearly, clearly, clearly the pattern of the Bible. I mean, I don't even know, as somebody recently told me, 
I don't even know where we got off track here. Pastors oversee the church as, not carelessly, not with some heavy hand, but as people who must love and protect the congregation as one who will give an account to the king of kings for every soul. That is a weighty, weighty thing. And deacons are to serve the needs of the people. Two clearly different roles. Two offices, completely different responsibilities. We get off track if we don't do it according to the scriptures. In closing, Paul's discussions on elders and deacons and our closing of our work on this chapter 3 for quite some time. I think some of you in the church probably thought we'd never get to chapter 4, but we will. I want to read verses 14 through 15. Paul says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So what does this have to do with the gospel? I mean, I know what some of you may be thinking. I know in our topical-driven church world. Uh, I know that in our what-can-you-do-for-me-today church mentality, that spending six, seven weeks on elders and deacons uh, does not exactly maybe meet your need in some way. So you may be saying, come on, Jason. I have been through a difficult week. It's been tough. I need a sermon that helps me with my problems today. Give me a topic. Uh, give me something Uh, And preach on that topic so you can help me with what's happening in my life right now. I can be honest with you, Jason. I don't need any more sermons on elders and deacons and blah, 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 whatever else you got. I need something about me and my struggles today. But I would submit to you that you don't need sermons that deal with your specific problem today. What you need is a healthy church. That's what you need. Because a healthy church can guide and guard your soul. And part of what Paul is discussing when he says how to behave in the household of God, I actually read a sermon um, I quickly deleted it and tried not to read the name of the guy who read it or preached it so I would and not disparage him in any way whatsoever, but he actually said that this sermon and that whole passage right there about behaving in the church of God is about children and their misbehavior in the church. What? He's on staff. I was just like, you can't believe that. How does that happen? Um, But that's not what it's about. I believe a good portion of that is not about being a good boy or a good kid, but it's literally, if you translate it, it's, how to conduct yourself in the church. Remember, we said in Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus, almost 20% of what he says to them is pertaining to elders and deacons. It's a big deal. 
And he says that if, if you want to conduct yourself well in the church, if you want the church to behave properly, then the framework of elders and deacons as two completely different offices with completely different roles must be done right. That's what Paul is saying here. That the structure of the church matters. This matters. I guarantee you, if you have grown up in the church, you and I went to lunch, and I asked you to tell me about all the struggles you've ever seen in the church, bad things that have happened, almost every single one of them is either with a deacon body who was in the wrong role and got out of control, or is with a single pastor-led church and when the pastor got out of control, almost every one of them, and most of the people that you know who won't go to church anymore because they got hurt by the church, it's almost identical the same issues that they dealt with. This matters to the health of the church. It's important that we get this right. Because the church, this gathered body of believers is the church of the living God. A pillar and buttress of the truth. So if we see the scripture teaching something so clearly, we should abide by that teaching. Because this is the church of the living God. A pillar of truth. And you need a healthy church one that proclaims and defends the truth. And you need that more than just you need a specific sermon in your life for just today. Because I don't know if you know this, the Christian life is not just lived on Sundays. It's lived every day. And you need a healthy church that helps you walk every day in a healthy way. They'll support you and encourage you and defend you and direct you to rebuke you and to protect you every single day. That's why I care and our elder team cares more for the overall health of our church than we do on creating some spectacular performance on a specific Sunday morning. I don't want that to be our church. I don't want this to be the only day that you are impacted by the word of God. I want our church to create disciples through the power of the Holy Spirit seven days a week. And for that, you need a healthy church. And a healthy church starts with a healthy framework of leadership and service. A healthy church. A healthy church, not a perfect church but a church that sees the scriptures and does its very best to model itself after the scriptures. There are some vague things in the scriptures, and I want to always be a pastor who says, we do this because we clearly see it in the scripture, or we do this because we don't necessarily have this in scripture, but we've decided to do it this way based upon these verses in the scriptures. So I'm not talking about a perfect church, but instead a healthy church. But a healthy church is a proclamation of the power of the gospel. That's right. And we need that. And you might say, well, what is the gospel? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Here is the gospel. That you were born into sin. 
No one taught you how to sin. You sin all by yourself, naturally. You can't even tell yourself, I'm not sinning today. And you will still sin. And that sin separated you from a holy, holy, holy God. And because of your sin, the wrath of God would be poured out upon you. But God, because of his love for you, because he is rich in mercy, sent Christ to live a perfect and blameless life, one in which you could never live, and that perfect, spotless lamb shed his blood on the cross. And for those who look upon Christ and repent and believe, can have a heart change, and their lives can be different forever. And the wrath of God is poured upon Christ for your sin. Jesus takes your sin, and you get his righteousness. And you are brought back into a right relationship with the Father. Those who choose not to will suffer eternal damnation. The only, the only justice for your sin is hell for eternity. So you might say, well, how do I become a believer today? Don't I need to say a set of magic words or doesn't Keith need to play just as I am about four times in a row and, and we have just the right lighting and, and all that so you come down and you take my hand and we do that. No, 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 you don't, you don't have to do any of that. Here's what you need to do. You need to do what Jesus said, what the disciples said constantly throughout the scriptures. Even as you were in our class this morning, if you, on Hebrews 11, we heard what Noah did. You need to repent and believe. Repent and believe in Christ. And we'll know whether or not that is a real decision by you. Not by the words you say, but by the fact that your life will never be the same again. Not perfect, but you cannot meet the God of the universe and not be changed. And so, he who has ears, let him hear the gospel. And may you repent and believe. As Keith comes to lead us in a time of worship, I would just remind our covenant members, this is an important teaching for our church. You've survived the deep and extensive preaching over elders and deacons, and I pray that we are a healthier church because of it. You need a healthy church, and you need healthy leaders, and you are a part of that by holding us accountable as your leaders so that we can love and protect you in the right way. So I would ask you to always pray for us. Pray for us. We need your prayers. Don't just lob up one every other morning. Pray for our pastors. Pray specifically for us that we would be protected from sin. The same things that pull upon your hearts, pull upon ours. We need prayer. Pray for us. Pray that we be encouraged. Pray that we would watch our life and doctrine closely, as Paul would tell Timothy, that what we preach, we go out and live out ourselves. Pray for us. We need it. Let's pray before the Lord. Lord God, we do thank you for this.
teaching of your word, Lord. I pray, Lord, that our church would hold these two offices distinct. Lord God, that we would see them for what the scriptures call us to with regards to these roles. Lord God, that we would take them very seriously. And Lord, that you would continue to grow our church by growing our elder body, Lord, and growing our newly formed deacon body, Lord. And we need a lot of wisdom, Lord. Our church needs wisdom on how we go about putting these men in place and women when it comes to deacons, Lord. Give us wisdom. We are in desperate need of it. It's your name we pray. Amen.